Welcome to the power of makeup. In this week's show, your host, Lan, talks to international makeup artist Daniel Sandler, aka the patron saint of blusher. Hello, and thank you, Daniel, for、um, joining me on my very first podcast. Um, I'm so excited to do this with you. Thank you, Lan, for inviting me. Not at all. I mean, we've had conversations before, and I always find your story fascinating.、Um, obviously, we know that you are the maker of Daniel Sandler Cosmetics and famous for your blusher, which we'll go into more details later. But what I want to start off with is, you know, just to go back to your childhood, growing up, and the culture that you were around. You know, what you know, what memories have you got that?、Um, That can give the audience a, a picture of of what influenced you, you know, in the whole sort of makeup or that whole imagery, you know,、hmm. of you finding your identity, you know. Yeah, no, that, that's a great start.、Um, so if I can turn back the clock in my mind, and I think about the sort of li- the influences that I saw as a, as a youngster. Certainly, one of the most important factors I think to me being a makeup artist and falling in love with art was that my dad was a hairdresser, and as a small child, I would often visit his salon, and、um, because it was his business, I would, you know, he gave me a Saturday job as I got older, and not only did I get to see my father work, but I saw all the other hairstylists and colorists and permers doing. You know, amazing jobs transforming people's rather lank, dull-looking, ordinary hair into something fantastic. So, I saw transformation before my eyes, and I saw the effect that that had. And I and I and then you don't realise it at the time, but now I look back and and I realise、um, how influential that was to to me wanting to be a makeup artist and and being able to put makeup on people. See the reaction, see them happy with how they look, and me being happy that I help them feel so great. So definitely, my head, my my hairdresser father was、um, an influence on me.、Uh, my my mother was an interior designer, so she was excellent at putting colours together and textures together. So I guess when you've got a bit of an arty farty mum and dad, it's got to rub off somewhere.、Um, and I think that that. When I used to watch my father work in studios on photo shoots, or if he was working on fashion shows, you know, big hair shows for Bit for Weller or Schwarzkopf for L'Oreal,、um, I'd see him working backstage on the models. I'd see the makeup going on, and again, I think I was just drip-fed all these really interesting images、um, that finally. Made me become what I wanted to be, and I remember being a teenager in the in the early eighties,、um, living near the King's Road. I'd seen the punks walk walk up and down. I was seeing now the new romantics strut their stuff up and down the King's Road, and I just loved how people could transform themselves into something really wild and beautiful, and just so not ordinary and classic. It was. It was self-expression, but a beautiful self-expression, and I felt, I think, very much influenced that I wanted to look like that, and I 
wanted to do whatever I could to change my hair, change the way my face looked um, and change how I dressed. So I think those influences definitely, definitely were the key factors to starting me somewhere that led to a fantastic career. Um, do you think, you know, because I'm sort of reliving my childhood and my, both my parents were quite creative too, but I was drummed into not to go into the outside world, um, not to dream about being anything remotely creative, even though I was drip fed it like you. Um, how, how were they, you know, when you decided, what was that point where you said, oh, I want to be a makeup artist, I want to be in this world. What was their um, sort of insights or what sort of advice? Were they very supportive of you? You know, that's so interesting that you should say your parents didn't necessarily, didn't kind of guide you to be artistic, even though they both were. And that is incredible because that is so similar. Um, at school, I was good at languages. I was good at art. There were a few other subjects I was good at, but I wasn't the best academic student. But my dad still thought that, I should use my um, gift for learning languages and become a translator oh. or, or a journalist because I was good at English. They didn't necessarily think that I should go into an artistic industry. So when I said to my dad, because I, I think my, my father didn't necessarily want me to be a hairdresser either, but when I said I wanted to do makeup, I don't think my father thought that makeup then and we're talking 80s was, mm. would be a career that would give me a solid um, and regular income. He didn't understand what freelance work was about. For him, it was a, almost like a proper job, gave you a proper wage, and it was nine to five. He didn't understand um, the concept of being freelance and all the challenges that would have. So he certainly didn't uh, steer me to do that. But when I told him that's what I wanted to do, he was he did everything he could. He introduced me to hairdressers such as Tony and Guy, uh, his old pal that he grew up with, Videl Sassoon, as well, gave me a few good starting points within in the um, in my career. They they let me do makeup for their shoots and shows. Some top photographers uh, like Norman Parkinson and Terence Donovan, great names from the fifties and sixties. They gave me some some work as well, being a makeup artist for their shoots and more pop videos. Um, so I worked on one of those very early Robert Palmer videos. Um, and that was obviously that my dad helped me do that just to get a foot into the industry. And then, of course, it's up to you to create that talent. Um, you, you can get that help, but it's really up to you to be uh, to, to go further with your career. It's up to you to to create your craft, to work hard, be likable and all the other things that makes you a success. But how did you know about the freelance world? Considering your dad was at the salon, your mom was an interior designer, but like, what? who were you surrounded with that gave you that sort of push to go, oh yeah, I can go into freelance where I'm going to do it? Because, you know, even though it's the 80s, there's no social media, there wasn't any education yeah. about freelancers or how to run your own business and that sort of world. Like, how did you navigate that? You know, where did you get your mentorship or the ideas to go off on your own? <laughs> Again, living close to the King's Road in Chelsea, um, it, it attracted, there were loads of bars and clubs down just around World's End, uh, the bottom of King's Road. And there were lots of model agencies around that area at the time as well. So I would just naturally just hang out with models, photographers, mm. 
hairdressers, makeup artists who were who were freelance. I was when I was at the London College of Fashion. Uh, one of the um, girls on my course in the same year as me was a freelance makeup artist, and she let me watch her work in the studio. And I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, so again, it just it just naturally happened that I met the right people. I was in the right place. I was hanging out at the right parties. And people were giving, you know, you gel with people. That's so much of what helps you start your portfolio off and, and create relationships with people is if they like you, they'll give you a chance. And if they like what you do on the job and you get that real excitement, that buzz all together, creating beautiful imagery, that's what helps you start off your portfolio in the beginning. And so, so yeah, that was, that was how it kind of started for me. And obviously, um, did I hear you used to be a model as well? So your your yeah. own image <laughs> would have been a factor, no, of when you're it, like. It's so mad. That that is so mad. I mean, looking at me now, if if you see me on Instagram, you'll you'll wonder, gosh, was he was he a model? You know, did he have hair? But yeah, I had masses of hair. I was a Vidal Sassoon house model for golly, uh, so so many like eight years or something, and a friend of mine who was a very famous model at the time, Nick Kamen, who was the guy, I don't know if any of you might remember the Le's, Levi's advert on the telly where a guy gets into a bar. He's a really good looking, dark haired, black, uh, uh, dark haired, dark skin with greeny blue eyes. Well, he was a friend of mine um, and he used to go to Sassoon's to get his hair cut. And he said, Dan, you've got great hair. Why don't you come along? And I'm sure they'll, you could be a house model for them. So yeah, so I did a bit of house modeling, but on one uh, go-see, on one appointment where I was a jobbing makeup artist and I went to meet a photographer, um, I was represented by Models One at the time as a makeup artist. Uh, this very famous photographer wanted to, to meet me and I showed him my book um, and he didn't want to use me for makeup. He said to me, you've got a really great look. Um, why don't you model for me? I'm doing a campaign called Marco Polo, which is a bit similar to Ralph Lauren and Tommy Hilfiger. He said, I'm doing a, a, a campaign for Marco Polo and I want you to be one of the models. So for anybody who doesn't know what I look like, I've kind of got fair skin, blue eyes, um, some freckles, and I used to have this wild red wavy hair. So okay. it was quite a distinct look. And um, yeah, he liked that kind of English rose that Titian head look and, and all his models, male and female, kind of looked a little bit sort of romantic-y, almost like a Rossetti kind of model. Um, so I did some modeling and I went to Paris for over a year and I worked for Vogue and Luomo Vogue and some top Italian editorial and I did some other campaigns. Um, and then I thought, you know what, I'm actually really kind of, this has been fun being the other side of of the um, camera, but I didn't actually enjoy it too much. So I started doing makeup again. I came back to London and I was with the Lynn Franks agency and I was working in Paris and New York as well. And I was with Faces agents, uh, uh, not Faces, um, Streeters, sorry, Streeters agency. Um, so I picked up on where I left and it, I, I, as I say, I enjoyed being a model, but I, my first love I knew was, was the makeup side. I knew that that's what I really wanted to focus on. Yeah, and I think sometimes you have to go through all those different um, avenues of careers to, in order to sort of find yourself, isn't it? To really be able to go back and focus on what you truly want. Um, yeah. And 
obviously you've you've done loads of celebrities, A-listers, and you know you've been quite affluential during your time. But what made you then to um, think about like branding? How did you, how, you know, what made you all of a sudden go? Oh, I think I'm going to embark on a on a branding career now. Was it? Did you feel like you'd done everything, all your goals? No, again, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who's never really planned. I always kind of just plod along and I just, you know, things come to me and, I, and, I'm, and I'm not one who has planned to make my career go in a certain direction apart from this time when, you know, somebody, my, my friend Leslie Chivers from Bourgeois said to me, um, you know, why don't you bring out your own makeup range? Because we had ranges makeup ranges from Bobby Brown and Nas and Mac was starting up, but there were no British brands. We've got Ruby and Millie, but they were really Ruby, bless her, and Millie, gorgeous girl. They were the only people who had their own, they were the only British makeup really brand around. So um, me creating my watercolors was out of necessity because there was nothing like that on the market. And I needed to create something for me as an artist that, that could go on the skin, look great, stay put, and come in lots of different shades so it suited lots of skin tones. There just wasn't a product around there that per performed and behaved um, as a blusher needed to be for the sort of work that I was doing. So hence why I created the watercolour, um, because there was that gap in the market for me as a professional. So I knew also that non-professional makeup lovers, you know, consumers, uh, boys and girls who love wearing makeup, I knew that they would need a product like that as well. So, yeah, so that's how it, it came out of necessity, really, starting my own brand. And um, did you think it added to your career? I mean, have you got any sort of... what was... It changed my career. It's a, it's a bittersweet pill, I have to say, um, because when I launched my range 16 years ago, I was still pretty much high, pretty high-end editorial high-end fashion shows, high-end celebrities and royals. Uh, when I brought out my range, some of the magazines that I was working for stopped using me. And the reason was that in those days, when you did editorial, you wouldn't get an awful lot of money. But where the magazine made money is they'd sell a cover to Revlon or Estee Lauder or someone like that. Uh, so the magazine would make money because it would say makeup by Daniel Sandler using boots or Revlon or whatever, or as I say, Estee Lauder. And the magazine would make generally make that money for mentioning Estee Lauder. So I'd go in and I say, but I've got my own makeup range now. And they say, but okay, so you'll have to pay for that. And they wanted many thousands of pounds. So I said, but I can't do that. So, um, and I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, be credited as makeup by Daniel Sandler for Bobby Brown. That would just be ridiculous. It's in the same way that Bobby Brown wouldn't want makeup by Bobby Brown for Daniel Sandler. You know, you just can't, it's just not feasible. I want to promote my own brand. So a lot of my clients that I've been working with editorially stopped using me because they needed to create income from selling those tear sheets and those covers and those credits to big cosmetics brands. So I started losing out on really good editorial jobs because of the brand. But on the other, other um, aspect is that obviously I was making my own name. I was carving a new niche for myself as the creator of a brand. Um, but it did definitely knock my career. And there's sometimes I think, gosh, you know, had I not got my own brand, 
I would be in a completely different place now, I think, with my career. But um, I, I believe that my journey was right. And it's interesting when you say, you know, Alain, we were speaking earlier and, and Mary Greenwell's very open about she wished she'd had a brand. Um, but if she'd had a brand, would she have maintained her career and gone to the heights that she has where she is now? So it's hard to know in hindsight, it, it's hard to know what we, what I could have done, what I should have done um, differently to, to juggle both the career and the brand. I think Pat McGrath's been able to do it because she's just mega powerful. And I think they, these days it's easier for artists to bring out a brand plus at the same time keep their career going. But for me, it just didn't work and I did not have the support of an agent. My agent did not want to really represent me once she knew I had a brand. She kind of was dropped me and um, so quickly. It was just it was just horrible. I felt incredibly isolated creating my own brand, but excited at the same time. So it was a very nervous, anxious time for me so, because I'm not a business person yeah. and I, there's no one telling you what to do, how to do it. You're truly finding your own way. I mean, it sounded so, like you, you, you know, even though the glamorous side of having a brand, you know, everyone, it's like almost like the dream, isn't it, to have an end brand goal. But you have to, as what you're saying, is that you have to wear that brand. And as soon as you put that tagline on, you're stuck with it, aren't you? So then it yeah. sort of cuts and alienates other people and other clients. So, I mean, yeah. how have you, I mean, in terms of your motivation, obviously I can imagine it, like put myself in your shoes. Um, I sort of dipped in and out, but not having the whole land brand, because um, obviously I'm I'm quite quite scared as well of having that done to me. And you know you're living through it. So what is how did you get out of that? It sounds like you could have had burned out or mental health issues or just anxiety. You know what's helped you to sort of overcome that, or are you still working on it? Like how I'm very feel? much a person who just kind of gets on with it. Mm -hmm. You know if. You know, you you can, and I'm only talking about me. I'm not talking about anyone else. So when I say that I didn't want to wallow in in my own anxiety, I just had I just handled it. I got on with it, um, and I, I, prob I probably did struggle, but that's not a bad thing. You know, mm. struggling is a challenge, and if you know, you can overcome a challenge, it makes you a stronger person. So. I don't know whether I would call it mental issues, but if, if I did have challenges, I never let those cripple me. I mean, one time, the worst time, one of the worst times in my entire career was when an agent I really trusted went bust and owed me 30,000 pounds. And this is, we're talking nearly 18, 19 years ago, which was a hell of a lot of money. Mm. And it was an agent who I'd been with for many years and he's still out there. He's not representing makeup artists, but he's representing celebrities. And he went bust and all the other artists in the agency were owed various amounts of money as well. And we're talking top, it was a top agency. Um, and that really, really hit me because I really trusted um, my, my agent at the time and that, that was that was a really horrible blow and I think that knocked me for a couple of months but then because I, at the time I was 
uh, with Bourgeois as their spokesperson. And you know, Leslie was the PR at the time. She was incredibly supportive. And had I not had that steady income from Bourgeois, I don't know what I would have done, you know, because I was on, under contract as their spokesperson. Had I not had that um, to be able to pay my bills, things could have gone really spiral down for, for me and I would have gone in a different direction. But I know me, I would get out. I know I would have got out. I would have, you know, people still liked me. I still felt I was good at my job. I still knew that my, 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 what I could deliver on a shoot had worth. Um, so I knew I, I would have been able to work again, but it, it would have taken a little bit more time. Because this our career as freelancers is a real ro roller coaster. Not only yeah. have you got to get used to days when you're not working, you know there could be gig big gaps in your career depending on the season or the time of year um, because it's fashion week. And if you're not doing the shows, there's very little going on in studios at that time. Um, and if you do catalogues, uh, if you do mail order, you're away for a good few months of the year, but the rest of the year you're really quiet. So you have to kind of get used to the knocks and the inconsistencies of being a freelancer. Um, so I think that I probably just had, uh, I didn't let things get to me too badly, really. Um, I think I was able to handle it and I was young. So when you're young, you can handle a lot more, I think, mm. than when you're older. So in going forward now, um, what is next for you? Like how, um, where are you going now? Like, is there any other goals or, you know, because you've done the brand, you've done the celebs, um, you are like quite prolific in terms of events and beauty editors and people always come to you for advice because you haven't changed your style. You've kept your style, but you've just made it better or you've um, made your products to suit and you've moved with the times and technology for creating your brand and it's a cult um you know yeah. daniel sandler the the cheat cream and and watercolor is a cult every makeup artist knows your brand so, yeah no that's great i mean it's been hard work i mean i'm not owned by l'oreal l'oreal of course own loads of makeup brands and I'm, and I'm not owned by estee lauder who owns an awful lot of brands that we we all know um i'm an independent brand it's just me and my sister and my niece who run the company um, and I, I think what I'm constantly doing is refining, 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 refining. And what I mean by that is I'm always trying to think of better solutions. Okay. So I've created the watercolor liquid blush. How can I better that? Can I, is it in a, can I offer a better shade selection? Can I offer a better texture? What are the demands of the people who want to use and wear my product? Because it's never, when you create a product, it, yes, the watercolor was based on me as a professional, what lacked in the market, but I'm not the person who's buying it. I need to think, I need to put my hat on as if I'm a consumer or a makeup artist who's never used this product before. And I need to think, will they find it easy to use? Will it deliver how they want? Will it make them look how they want it? to look with blusher. Um, so I'm constantly refining. Is the packaging still the right packaging? Is the application technique? So I'm constantly thinking about how I can better it. And even though I can have ideas in my head, sometimes what stops that 
from coming to fruition is that laboratories and technicians and suppliers and packaging aren't quite there yet. They can't provide me with the answers. Perhaps scientifically, the formula that I would like to create isn't possible yet because it's not just about a formula, which is what the product's made from. It's also about what that formula is in, the packaging. So I can create an amazing formula. I, I could better the watercolor possibly, but if there isn't the packaging, the componentry, the delivery system that complements that formula, then I, I, it's, it stops me in my tracks. And creating products and formulas is one of the most hardest frustrating things to do because where what I've got in my head and what I mix at home isn't necessarily what then translates into a final product. So um, I, I don't know if you want me to expand on that. I don't know if that you understand what I mean, but for, for example, say you want to land, say you want to bring out five shades of foundation. Mm. There might be five shades of foundation that you like from different brands that you can go to a laboratory and say, I like this really pale one from Boots. I like this slightly warmer one from NARS. I like this matte color. Please, can you create, can you copy those shades for me? And they say, yeah, yeah, okay. Or perhaps you're actually mixing your own shades of foundation together and you're taking those little pots of all those different colors that you've created from mixing all these shades yourself. You take that to the manufacturer and you say, I need you to copy this, and I want this, this formula to be in a, a fine foundation that's more liquidy, and I want mm -hmm. it also in a more covering cream compact formula. Well, it's not that easy. They have to not only create you samples, but then that sample has to be made in bulk. And it's when it's made in bulk that you'll see that it isn't, it's not exactly how you created in your kitchen or on the back of your hand. Um, because what you created on the back of your hand was just a very small amount of makeup um, and you yeah. created that color and that texture but when the lab and the manufacturers make it it's often thicker in texture or more watery it's often slightly the, if it's a foundation it can be slightly gray or slightly yellow or too pale and they just don't quite get it you've got to go backwards and forwards so many times before you're really happy with what they're producing. And that, that's the most frustrating thing. And when it finally gets produced, you, you really hope that yeah. what you and them agree to create is actually what they have ultimately created, that it looks like the agreed sample. So that, that, that's the dilemmas of someone yeah. having a brand is, because we're so passionate and we want to get it so right. And there is so much competition out there for someone to buy your product it has to be perfect. And if, if it's not working for you as an artist, what the brand is, what your um, manufacturer has created, you've actually wasted months of time and loads of money because it costs a fortune to create a brand. Yeah, I can imagine because it's sometimes when I'm listening in um, to people's conversation, they're like, yeah, I think I'm just going to go private label. I'm going to create a brand. It's like, ha. <laughs> you don't realize how hard it is and you know your prime example and you know you've done it you've created the cult brand but it's not like you're churning out loads of products you know you're being very um uh clever it's an to create yeah, something it's an, that's it's an edit because the, the mm. thing is there is there is obviously an awful lot of choice out there there's tons of makeup but i think coming out of coronavirus i think everyone is thinking about things differently i think 
um, quite rightly that people are thinking, do I need so much choice? Do I need to buy so much? Mm. It's not about, it's not necessarily about making do with what you've got, but you don't need to buy as much as you used to. There's been so much wastage of, of people feeling, oh, I've got better buy this, oh, I better buy that. Oh yeah, no, I need to buy this. I think people are going to still shop, but I think people are going to be a little bit, give it more thought yeah. about buying quality rather than quantity. Yeah, that's really important, I think, especially for the world. Um, in over, oversight, looking at everything you've achieved, um, what's the one thing either you would tell yourself or you wish you knew? If there's anything that you could advise your younger self, or maybe go back and is there something you would change? Like, what would it be, think? <laughs> that's, that's difficult because like you, and I love your story about, you know, somebody once said to you about, and I know this is all about me, but you and I are a sinner in certain ways. And I remember when I, when I saw you on stage one time and you were talking about your career and it was about, you know, someone said to you to, be, to act a certain way. And then you thought, sod that, I'm actually going to be me. You had that, like, either someone said to you, know, just be yourself, Lan, be true to yourself. And I remember, and I really remember that. And, um, and I thought, to, and I thought to myself, well, Lan's absolutely right. So I think that possibly, I don't know, I don't know what I could have done different. I don't know what, I could, what, what advice I can give, because that would just be about me. It doesn't necessarily relate mm. to someone else. But I think when I first started, I think I was quite immature and I probably said things on shoots that I shouldn't have. For example, one time I was doing yeah. a, a famous celebrity lady for Harper's Bazaar magazine. And um, I said to her, oh, I said, when's your baby due? And she just put on a few pounds. <laughs> and Hamish Bowles was the fashion director. And he just gave me a really scathing look. And I just thought, oh, no, Daniel, you put your foot in it. So I think sometimes you've got to know when to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Obviously, you've got to be really nice to everybody. Um, but I think sometimes I just got a little excited um, and, I've, and I forgot to just be, be a bit quiet at times and think about what I said. Because I think when I was younger, I used to just say things without thinking. Mm. And I think I learned the hard way a few times. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm much older now. I, I learned my lesson. So I, I think that's probably, if I was to give some advice, I say, just watch what you say. Think before you say, because you don't know who you're going to upset. Even though you're completely innocent, you don't mean to be. The intention was never to upset anybody. People can be very easily offended. So just watch what you say. Yeah, I think that's even more so now than ever before, right? Um, yeah. Uh, people are more sensitive now. Um, I know from looking back, you know, you could have your tongue in cheek and be quite cheeky and really say it how it is, but now it's like everyone is, it's all about being kind and yeah. um, being inclusive and, and you know, as we're sort of coming out of the pandemic, well, not coming out of it, but, you know, work is starting to go back to normal-ish. Um, in terms of, you know, in what's happening everywhere, in terms of the kindness, culture, you know, what's your, um, is there anything else that, you know, if you could do something to 
to change or to inspire people that are maybe going through that sort of anxiety or not knowing where they're going to go, you know, because you've gone through so many different dilemmas and different um, areas of the industry. What sort of advice or could you give somebody that could be feeling I, I, I think the a bit best lost, advice I say? is to I think the best advice land is is to stay focused and really stick to your guns, stick to where you want to be within the makeup industry and just stay on that path. I know that there are times when you, you have to make certain choices with your career as a makeup artist. You know, maybe you kind of think, I want to do editorial and you kind of go into the bridal market a bit or maybe you, you have to do a little bit of makeup in a department store just do that, those extra jobs for a while just to keep the money coming in, but absolutely stay focused if you want to do fashion. Start connecting with people um, who can help you achieve that goal of working on a show, working in Paris, working with certain photographers. Always have that in the back of your mind. I, I remember when I was um, you know, mentoring students at makeup colleges or doing talks at makeup colleges, and I would meet young aspiring student artists and they, they'd show me their portfolio and, and they, most of it was, and you might have seen this yourself, Lan, going around makeup colleges. Um, they did a little bit of um, what, what special effects makeup and they do other sorts of makeup that was quite prevalent. They did that an awful lot and they said they enjoyed doing that. And I said, but what do you truly want to do? Oh, I want to be a fashion makeup artist. Um, but there was nothing in that in, in that portfolio um, or just chatting to them that made me feel like that they wanted that they could really succeed in that. And I'd say, okay, well, name me some fashion photographers. Who do, would you want to work with? And they couldn't. I'd say, name, name me three British fashion makeup artists. They couldn't. And I just thought, you've got an idea, like you want to be a fashion makeup artist because you love clothes and you love the hair and stuff. But really, that doesn't cut it. You've got, to, you've got to educate yourself. You've got to be up there. You've got to know those names. But the artists, the makeup artists, the hairdressers, the stylists, the photographers, the, the magazine titles, you know, to, to really, if you want to get in there, you've got to bury yourself and you've got, to, you've got to read magazines all the way through or look online and educate yourself, understand, hopefully try and understand what went into that photo that made that model look so great. Understand how that makeup was applied. Understand the shape of the brow, the way the lips were perfected. And try and look at the different sorts of lighting and how the makeup looks different to that than, than another shoot where the lighting was completely different. So use your eyes, educate yourself. And then I think that things will start falling into place and you'll, you'll develop your own style from having done that homework. Mm. Um, and then just finally, I just wanted to ask, like, from a man's perspective, um, <laughs> well, I always I love that, because I always, that. you know, I, I do always like to compare, like, you know, a man's touch to a woman doing grooming and stuff. It's, I've always, you know, it's, it's different, you know. Um, so I just want to hear from you, like, on how you see women, you know, what is that sort of, powerful change that you 
that you give to these women, you know, with your makeup, because I know what I do for a woman um, when I'm looking at them from my point of view, because I can step in their shoes because I'm a woman. But as a man, is there something a bit different there that you think that you've got an advantage of or, you know, just a different insight for, you know, that powerful tool of doing makeup? That's a really great question. I mean, there was certainly a time when I did think that women makeup artists and not necessarily freelance makeup artists who worked on editorial, um, but certainly makeup artists who were working in department stores. I, I generally felt with women that the, the, the makeup that the makeup artists in the department stores were doing on themselves would be how they would make up every single woman who sat in that chair. There would be no thought process of interpreting what that customer actually needed to suit them. Um, and I, and I, this is, this is quite dated. Um, my thought, this is a good few years ago. It's probably changed now because I think younger makeup artists are generally a little bit more adaptable to, to making different faces look, you know, enhancing diff- an individual's beauty. Um, my, my own technique is that I like to just tweak a little bit. I don't like to completely transform someone. That, that's, I admire transformations like Kevin O'Coin, the king of you know, transformation when it comes to makeup. He was beyond. That's not my skill set. My skill set is to be able to do a few little touches that make someone just look really fantastic and you can't really see that there's makeup on them. So that can just be if someone's got a dull complexion, I, I'll just use a light reflecting glowy foundation. If they haven't got the best brows, I'll just use a very soft, natural looking pencil to naturally enhance their brows. My watercolor blushes will give them that natural looking flush of transparent color. Um, I'll make their lips look youthful and full, how they would love their lips to look every single day. So I think I do natural glamour, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, there are times when I do do transform, you know, complete transformations. I can do that, um, but I think I'm more more of an empathic makeup artist yeah. rather than a transforming makeup artist, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and I, that's that's kind of what I'm known for, um, and that's what people come to me for, and that's kind of what I love to deliver because that's the style that I love yeah. myself. That's amazing. Um... Yeah, it's just so interesting to hear that insight because I've always wondered because sometimes, you know, there's you, you see comments of, you know, about trans makeup, drag makeup and, you know, because I was so creative, I used to get booked all the time for the, um, the trans makeup or, you know, Wiggy Woo and that sort of era, you know, the Café de Paris. You know, when they used to have those massive parties and I was so naive. Like, I just went there and I just love theater, I love color, and I used to um, just do everybody, you know, um, and I think in terms of skill-wise, my, my skill was more delicate and special effects, but I don't think it was as good as somebody, like say for yourself, if you were to do drag makeup, you know, the skill set that you have is phenomenal, because obviously you've got the face where you know about stubble and all this sort of stuff to get the, the best products and the smooth, whereas, you know, mine is more of an external view, um, so yeah, so for me, it's like we're both having opposite sort of experiences in changing yeah. people. Um, yeah. So 
just to wrap up, Daniel, in terms of like um, the youngsters out there that are now embarking on their career, coming out of college, um, trying to choose an area, you know, um, and there is it is so multifaceted now, you know what. Um, on a, on a guy's perspective, because I get lots of guys asking me, and sometimes, you know, I can give an honest answer, but I think coming from you, who's lived it and done it, what's the, probably the most important key that they need to take with them? Stay focused and learn to have a little bit of a tough shell and definitely understand how to market yourself and make yourself stand out from the crowd. Give people a really nice reason why they should book you to do the makeup for a job and not book someone else. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. Um, well, I could talk to you all pleasure. day, Daniel, but I know time is of the essence. So I just want to say thank you so much and I love speaking to you. And uh, Thanks, I look forward to love you. I love what you're doing here. And thank you for this fantastic opportunity. And thank you to all your listeners for tuning in. I'll speak to you Take soon. Care. Take care. Bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye.